Well, it's good to see you here this morning. Let's go ahead and go to Luke chapter number 2. And I, I uh, told the Sunday school crowd, I wrestled between, what do I do? Do I preach a New Year's sermon or do I preach a Christmas message? Well, I decided to compromise, if I can do this in, the, in a way that's not bad, compromise that is. I decided to go to Sunday school, we did New Year's, and then, then we're going to do a Christmas message here this morning, just a day after Christmas. And I know there's not really anything, a whole lot new I can say, but I'm hoping something will just encourage us about the Christmas season. I I think many times uh, we don't realize this, maybe we do, maybe we don't, but Christmas is an, a really wonderful time to give the gospel because that's why Christmas occurred. Uh, there would be no gospel without Christmas. And so I want to take a little bit of time and just remind us of the glory of the Christmas season and what God is trying to communicate to us. But it is a delight to be here, and I appreciate so much your coming, and your pastor did travel with our team in 2008. Uh, that doesn't seem long ago, but I think it is. Okay, 14 years ago or 13 and uh, going on 14. But anyway, uh, so it's always a delight to be here. I'm just the only thing sad about it. He's not here. We'll enjoy the fellowship, but hopefully later on maybe he'll catch up with uh, some fellowship with him. So uh, just a delight to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to be here at Souls Harbor and appreciate your burden for uh, the lost. And uh, I, I know this by living in the Milwaukee area. Uh, if, you, if you are burdened about winning people to Jesus Christ, the woods are full of them. Did you know that? There's a plenty of them out there that need the gospel. And so it's a wonderful opportunity for all of us uh, to have a burden for the folks in this area to come to know the Lord Jesus. Well, I wanted to also mention something just because I don't want it to be a distraction to you. I did mention this in Sunday school, but you might be wondering what in the world's going on. I got a rash on either side of my face. Kind of funny just being on both sides. Now, I want you to know that's self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted. I told people in Sunday school because chicken pox have been going around in certain parts. I don't know if you knew that, but chicken pox been going around. It's not the chicken pox. It's not measles. Uh, it's, uh, it's self-inflicted. In other words, uh, my dermatologist said, you're going to got some precancerous issues you need to deal with. So you got to put this cream on for three weeks. And basically what it does, it tears you up. Okay. And then you, and then it heals and then you, your skin is like a, a little baby skin, like I told uh, folks in Sunday school. And so once that done, uh, I'll have 60 more years where I don't have to worry about it. Okay. So uh, uh, that'll be exciting. Okay. So I just wanted you to know what was going on. So you didn't freak out. It's not leprosy either for you that are Bible students. That's not it either. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so I didn't want that to be a distraction to you. So uh, uh, that's what's going on. Well, I'd like to preach a message here this morning, and I hope it'll be encouragement. I want to preach on the greatest announcement, the greatest announcement. Now, I hate to tell you this, when Brother Larry was giving the announcements, those were not the greatest announcements. They were important announcements, but they were not the greatest announcement. So what is the greatest announcement that's ever been given? Well, we're going to preach on that here this morning. I think most of you know where I'm going, but I'd like to just kind of reflect on some things this morning that might be an encouragement to you as you reflect on the Christmas season. Now, I'm going to tell you something that might be a shock to you. If you don't mind, I'm going to probably come down and wander a little bit because uh, that's just the way it is. I preach better if I wander. Okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, you know, many times when we think of Christmas, it's kind of pristine. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of clean. It's kind of fresh. In other words, it's, uh, we think of it in, in positive terms, and, and you think of decorations, and, and you think of gifts, and you think of joy, and you think of little kids, and you think of their giggles and their smiles, and, and all kinds of things get associated with Christmas. Now, some of you older folks know what I'm talking about. You can just hear a Christmas carol, and you go back 50 years to when you were a kid. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, you might remember a certain gift you were given or a certain special thing that happened at Christmas. And there's a lot of special things about Christmas, and sometimes as a result, we kind of almost view it uh, almost through, uh, how do we say this, view it in a way uh, that is only positive. But can I tell you something that about Christmas that may shock you? Do you know what is absolutely associated with Christmas? In fact, without it, there would be no Christmas, and that is sin. Do you know there would be no Christmas if there was not sin? It seems kind of funny that we think about sin as an essential part of Christmas but it is. And if you don't understand the importance understanding why sin is such a factor in Christmas, you don't understand Christmas. You may understand, again, the decorations, the joy, the gift-giving, the little kids, excitement, all that kind of stuff. You may get that, but that's not getting down to the real issue of why there is a Christmas. 
But we're going to look at the announcement, the announcement that announced that Christmas was coming in just a moment in Luke chapter number 2. And in doing so, I hope it will remind us again what Christmas is all about because it's all wrapped up in the announcement of the angel. Let's go to Luke chapter number 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 8 if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, and here's the key word in Luke chapter 2, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Now did you notice something? Let's just kind of set up the announcement, then we'll look at the announcement. But did you notice that uh, uh, the shepherds were, of course, uh, doing what they do? You know what shepherds do? They, they keep their sheep. Now, most of the time, when we think of shepherds at Christmas time, we kind of glorify them, you know, in the sense that, you know, we have the little uh, manger scenes and we have the little kids dressed like shepherds and it's all kind of cute and we all kind of like that. But if you were a shepherd back in this day, you were not on the high side of society. Did you know that? You were on the low side of society. And of course, they kept watch over their flocks by night, which means they obviously were sleeping on the ground and, and trying to keep, of course, their sheep safe. And I don't have time to go into all of this. Uh, but uh, it's interesting to me that this is the group of people that God chose to make the greatest announcement. And the Bible says an angel. First of all, you have to notice it wasn't a bunch of angels to start with. It started with just one angel. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never seen an angel in its manifestation with the glory. In other words, light would have just pouring out. Now, you have to understand, too, that angel, the shepherds in 2021, uh, I mean, how I say this? In 2021, shepherds today, there would be light and there would be flashlights and there would be ways to have light. But these people, all they would have had was probably a campfire and the st stars and so when the angels showed up, it was light like they had never seen. You know, we've seen spotlights and we've seen stage lights. And a lot of us are, you know, we're used to lights just, you know, just making things extremely bright. And you go to a light show and all kinds of things like that. And you see some remarkable things that obviously technology has given us. But you have to understand, those shepherds didn't have that. So when that angel showed up, they saw glory like they had never seen. <laughs> And the Bible says they were afraid, sore afraid. You know what that means? They were really afraid. Now, I don't know about you. I suppose while I was preaching, if an angel showed up here, we'd be afraid too. We thought, what in the world's going on? I don't know about you, but I have never seen an angel in my entire life in its manifestation of glory. You know, or are you just shining forth? Never have. Probably never will in this life. God doesn't seem to operate that way in our day. But you know, have you ever noticed that humankind is kind of somewhat kind of uh, intrigued by angels? Back when I was going up, I had a TV program called Touched by an Angel. Anybody remember that? Touched by an Angel. And then they had Highway, I think, Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon. How many remember Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon, you know? And uh, uh, et cetera like that. And so, uh, uh, and of course, It's a Wonderful Life. Everybody knows the name Clarence, you know what I'm talking about? Old Clarence trying to get his wings. Now, I hate to tell you that It's a Wonderful Life is not based on Scripture, okay? That is not a biblical way to look at angels. They're not trying to earn their wings. I know I just ruined that TV program for you. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. But, uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, humankind has kind of been in, in, intrigued by angels. In fact, it's interesting, the Bible tells us in the modern era, in other words, the New Testament era, which would be uh, the, the church age that we live in now, that you know, sometimes we're going to entertain angels unawares. If you've ever seen an angel, guess what? You didn't know it. Because the Bible says now when you entertain an angel, you don't know it. Now I have about several times in my life I, I think I, I, I entertained an angel. You say, you're, you're serious? Absolutely I'm serious. I've learned this about entertaining angels. While it's happening, you don't think about it could be an angel. It's afterwards. And then you're thinking, wow, I wonder, that was weird. Like one time I locked my keys in my car. Now I know that's, okay, you're going to think, man, preacher, you got problems. That's true, I really do. I locked my keys in my car and it was a rental car. So what are you going to do about that? Rental car, I'm at a gas station in Georgia. 
And I'm sitting there by my car, locked keys in the car. And you know how it is. Have, have you ever gotten ticked off at yourself? You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever kicked yourself? You know what I'm talking about. I'm out there thinking, well, you idiot. What did you, you just locked your keys. What are you going to do? You can't even have a phone number. The phone number's on the key. You know what I'm talking about. To call the rental car. Man, what am I going to do? I'm sitting there by this car thinking, what am I going to do? And I'm telling the honest truth. A car drove in. A guy rolled down the window and said, you lock your keys in your car? I thought to myself later, how did he know? Of course, at the time, I didn't know. I said, yeah, I did. I'm in shock. You know what I'm talking about? He, he jumps out, and he has one of those jimmies. You know what I'm talking about? Those things you use to open car doors. And he goes into the, under the glass. He goes, click. And, uh, and then he jumps back in the car and goes. I thought later, I think it was an angel. <laughs> I, he kind of even looked like Michael Landon. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, I'm just teasing. Totally as a joke. Okay, I really didn't. But, uh, and uh, I thought later, I thought, that was odd. You ever had something like that happen? I remember one time I ran out of gas in a rental car. I don't do well with rental cars. You kind of get, I ran out of gas with this rental car and I coasted into a driveway, just a random driveway. And I'm th thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I got to go get gas. What am I, I don't have a gas can. What am I going to do? And I'm sitting there and a pickup truck pulls into the driveway behind me. And for you old timers, it looked like Sanford and Son. You with me? You know what I'm talking about? Every piece of junk you can think of was in the back of that pickup truck. And it pulls in behind me. And the guy, uh, old guy, jumps out, uh, white beard, you know, and, and he, uh, uh, older guy, and he, he, he walks out, up to me and he says, you run out of gas? I thought later, how did he know? I'm in shock. I really am. I'm in shock. I said, yeah, I did. He said, I'll be right back. He literally was within five minutes. He comes back and he had a milk jug full of gasoline. Now, I want to tell you something, friends. That's illegal. I learned something that day. Angels don't have to obey the law. Okay, but anyway, and he came back. He put the gas in my car. I offered to pay him. He said, no, don't pay me a thing. And he took off. And I thought a little bit. I didn't think about it during the time. But later on, I thought, I wonder. I just wonder. I wonder if that was an angel. Now, oh, my point is, today we live in a different day. And if we entertain angels, it's usually unawares. Different day than it was back in the Old Testament. And, of course, here uh, in this uh, time here in, in the, uh, the book of um, uh, the book of uh, Luke here. But here's the thing I want you to see, friends. This, this angel showed up, and they obviously knew something. And don't miss this. It was supernatural. Something supernatural was going on, and they had fear. You know, I'm going to tell you something, friends. You know what amazes me today? We have a lot of people today who mock God, make fun of God. We have people who live with no regard to God. And you know the amazing thing is, if God wanted to, He could snap His fingers and scare the living daylights out of them, just like that, if He wanted to. <laughs> As supernatural manifestation. And they uh, literally uh, uh, are fear, uh, afraid, and the angel says what we all know, fear not. In other words, friends, it was not a time for fear. Don't miss this. It was a time for great joy. Do you know what the Greek says for the word great? Don't miss this. Mega. That's the Greek word for great. In other words, the angel says, I bring you good tidings of mega joy, which shall be to all people. Now, it doesn't matter who's listening on live stream. I don't, it doesn't matter if somebody's in in the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union, Russia. doesn't matter if somebody's listening from communist China. It doesn't matter if somebody's listening uh, from uh, uh, somewhere in Africa. doesn't matter what part of the planet they're listening, listening to. i got really good news for you. The announcement I'm preaching on is for all people. I've preached in Ireland, and I can tell those Irish people, hey, listen, this is for you. I preached in Spain. I could tell the Spain, Spanish people, this is for you. I've been out in remote villages in Africa with one light bulb and preached to people out there, and I'm telling you, I could tell you, this is for you. You know why? Because the announcement was made, not just for the Jewish people, it was made for all people. Now, notice what he says here, I bring you good tidings of great joy. The word, I bring you good tidings, is the same word that we use in the English, evangelize. Did you know that? He said, I'm evangelizing you with great joy. I'm giving you the good news. Good tidings simply means the good news. We often think of it as the evangel or the gospel. So what the, uh, the, the uh, angel was saying is, I'm going to give you some really good news, which if you really understand it, will bring you unbelievably great joy. And it will bring anybody who hears it Great joy. Now, i got a question for you. The announcement he's about to make, does it elicit in you great joy? And the truth is, for many people, it doesn't. And I'm going to tell you why. It could this morning, 
but it often doesn't. Now look what it says. Go back to the text, and let's look, if we could, please, at verse, uh, got to get this right verse here, verse number 10. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall all be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, here it is, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, don't miss this. This will not elicit great joy unto you until you need to understand something. You'll never be excited about a Savior until you yourself need to be saved. It's like this, friends. Rescuers don't necessarily elicit in us a response of great joy unless we need to be rescued. Right now, I could talk to you about the jaws of life. I could talk to you about firemen who train to get people out of vehicles that are about to explode into fire. And you might say, oh, isn't that neat that they take time to learn how to use the jaws of life and cut people out of vehicles and save their life when the car is about to explode? Isn't that amazing? But it really doesn't elicit in you great joy, but it would. If on the way home, and God forbid this would happen, but on the way home, imagine you're driving through and you drive through an intersection, somebody doesn't see the red light and comes right through and T-bones you. Twist the metal of the car in such a way that you can't open the door and you're stunned a little bit. Let's imagine it hits the passenger side, nobody's there, you're driving, and it twists the frame of the car, you can't open the door, and you're kind of stunned a little bit, you kind of lean back and, and just waiting just to, to get help because you can't get out of the car. Then imagine you look right over here and you see that the car that hits you is burst into flames and is burning, and you realize, I just filled up with gas. If that fire transfers to my car and hit my gas tank, and I'm done. You know, at that moment, you realize and trying to get out of that car, maybe trying to break the window, doing anything you can to get out of the car, and all of a sudden, you see a fire truck pull up, and guys jump out of the fire truck, and they have the jaws of life. Do you know what that's going to do? It's going to give you great joy. You know why? Because they're a savior. They're a rescuer. The word savior literally means a rescuer. See, a rescuer does not bring you great joy unless you recognize, I need to be rescued. <laughs> then it brings you great joy. Imagine you were in this room this morning with a terminal disease. Imagine the doctor has said to you, you've got six months to live. You've got a disease, there is no known cure. There's none at all. There's nothing I can do. And all of us have known people who've heard that bad news. You're terminal. We're all terminal in some way. But here's someone who's terminal and knows the doctor says six months. You'll be lucky to live six months. Now the point is, and imagine in that six months, you're one day listening, maybe watching the television, and, and some news item comes on and say, hey, I've just discovered a new cure, and they mention the very disease you have. And they say they have study groups, and if you call this number, you can get involved in that study group, and there's a good chance that you might be, you might be healed. There's not a person in this room that that announcement would not listen to you. Don't miss this. Great joy. There's a chance to be rescued. There's a chance, a way out of this thing. The reason anybody in this room, I'm going to tell you, the reason you're not really excited about the announcement of a Savior is because you're not overwhelmed with the fact you need to be rescued. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But I want you just to sit with that thought. Now, I want you to see a little bit about the rescuer. It says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a rescuer. But then God tells us something about the rescuer, which is very important. So we'll come back to the rescuer after this. But I wanted you to get it. So we'll come back to this. A rescuer, which is what? Christ the Lord. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, the word Christ, you probably know this, but maybe you don't, is really the word, the uh, idea of Messiah. In other words, this baby is going to be a rescuer, but he is the promised Messiah. Now, I want you to see something about this that's very interesting. Now, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. For those that don't, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Do you know that if Joseph, if, if, um, if how do I say this? If there was a king in Israel that was legitimate from the legitimate line of David, do you know who it would have been in that day? It would have been Joseph. Joseph was of the line of David. In other words, the kingly line, Joseph was the one that was living that had a right to the Davidic throne. Now, you maybe don't know this, but if, uh, if, the, if the Davidic line was still going, if, it, if they hadn't sinned and had to be taken away uh, to Babylon, all of that, if that had not happened, Joseph would have been the one on the throne. Okay, so you have to understand, he had the kingly right to the throne. There's only one problem. 
In the book of Jeremiah you see this. You also see it in, I think, in Chronicles and Kings. But one of the Davidic kings, the one that was in line, was cursed. They call it the curse of Coniah. And the kingly line was cursed and God said, no one is ever going to sit on the throne of David again uh, who comes from the kingly line. Now God just made himself have a really big problem. Do you know why? Because he said to David, remember what he said to David? There's going to be one of your seeds set on the throne. Now, how long? Forever. So now the kingly line's cursed. So it seems it's impossible. God just cursed the kingly line because of their sin. So now it seems to be impossible. So Joseph's uh, possibility of sitting on the throne was impossible because God had already cursed the kingly line. Now don't miss this. Mary was also of the Davidic line, but she was not through the kingly line. She went around the curse. Okay, but she wasn't in the kingly line. Okay, so don't miss this. Jesus was, of course, virgin born, right? So Joseph was not his father. What was conceived, the Bible says, was of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon her. And uh, uh, that which was in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Which means that Jesus was from the Davidic line, but he was not of the cursed kingly line. But remember what Joseph did. He adopted Jesus, which made Jesus the firstborn, which means the right of the kingship came to Jesus. So Jesus has literally the right to be the king of Israel. He has the kingly line. But because he's not of the seed of Joseph, he's not cursed. Can I say this? The only person who could be the Messiah is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. No one else could be. It's a remarkable thing what God has done. So understand that the Savior is the promised Messiah, the one that all those Old Testament promises. Recently I heard this preached. There are 109 very clear promises about Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled them all. So Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the promised Messiah. And that's one thing that's sad for the Jewish people that reject the Messiah because really there's so many aspects that Jesus is really the only one in human history. If you take the 70 weeks of Daniel, which I don't have time to deal with, it gives you the timing of when the Messiah was going to show up, which means Jesus had to be the one. So he's the Messiah. But then it says something else. It says he's Christ, the Lord. And the Lord, friends, is really the New Testament rendering of the word in the Old Testament for Jehovah. In other words, you know what the angel was saying? This Jesus that is going to be born is not only, or has been born, is not just your Savior. He's Messiah, and don't miss this. And he is deity. Do you know that little baby born in a manger was deity. Now, I want you to just think about this for a moment. In John chapter 1, the Bible says the Word was God. Fourteen verses later, it says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You know who Jesus was? Well, He was the Word. You know who the Word was? God. But the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, which means Jesus Christ was fully human. Can I put this, we, we learn in theology, we call it the hypostatic union, which means that Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. So, preacher, how can you be 100% God and 100% man? Well, in our finiteness, we can't understand that, but God's infinite, it's not a problem to him. He's fully God, he's fully man. It's a remarkable thing. How about this? Remember when he was born, God said, call him Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Do you know who Jesus was? It's really simple. He was God with us. Now, the thing about the hypostatic union, when Jesus Christ became a man, don't miss this, he is fully identified with the human race. The rest of eternity, Jesus Christ will be fully human. It's a remarkable thing. I mean, I know this is stupid, but I'm trying to help you understand it because this is a dumb uh, uh, illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. Imagine one day there was an ant mound that was in huge trouble. And the only way the ant mound could be rescued is for you to become an ant. So you could communicate with them and rescue the ant mound. I know this is dumb, and I know it can't happen, but I'm trying to help you understand. Okay, the only problem is if you became an ant, you would have to be the ant the rest of the eternity. Now I want to ask you a question. Would you volunteer? I'm thinking, I don't think so. I think we'll let the ant mound go the way of whatever, okay? Let their disaster occur, okay? I don't think you and I would be too concerned about that ant mound. My friend, could could we put it this way? It was probably a greater humiliation for God to become a man. 
Now, you have to understand, when you go to heaven and see Jesus, you will see a human being. Now, don't get me wrong, he's a glorified human. He has a glorified body. You see it in the book of Revelation. It doesn't look like our body right now. You can read it in the book of Revelation. But he's still a man. He's got a glorified body, but he's a man. Seated on the right hand of God the Father right now is a man. You can see him. That's an amazing thing because the Bible says no man has seen God at any time. John 4, 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is not a corporal being. He's a spirit. But Jesus Christ is a man. It's a remarkable thing. Fully identified will be the rest of eternity. Identified with mankind. Why? Because my friend, it's the only way he could take your place and take my place. I don't understand it all. But I will tell you, that saved, that baby born in a manger was deity. He was the Messiah, and he came for one purpose, and that was to rescue you. And the Bible says these are good tidings of great joy. Now, you have to understand something. If I could just stop and pause for a moment, now we've described who the Savior is. I want us to stop for a moment and consider the fact, why would a rescuer bring such great joy? And like I mentioned earlier, I want to come back to this and get you to get, it'll never elicit great joy until you see yourself as a sinner going to hell. You know, the truth is, you know why people are not joy about Jesus being their Savior? Because they really don't believe in hell. Now, everybody out there listening live stream, everybody in this auditorium, if you really believed you were headed straight to hell and that your sin was going to put you in hell and there's nothing you can do about your sin because your sin's already committed, you can't wash sin away that's already occurred, it's already occurred. You're already condemned, the Bible tells us. And all of a sudden you come along here announcement, there's been a baby born who is deity, he's the promised Messiah, and he can rescue you from sin and hell. Boy, that'd bring you great joy. I remember back a few months ago when uh, Donald Trump gave pardons out. Remember when he gave a bunch of pardons out? And one of them was a, a lady that uh, her crime was really not that big a deal, but she was given a long sentence, and he commuted her sentence and uh, uh, let her get out, or uh, pardoned her, let her get out. And I remember watching some of the uh, video of, of her release and of what she said, and I will tell you there was one thing that epitomized what she said, and that was great joy. She was so excited. And she thanked the president. And it was just really a, a remarkable thing. Why did she have great joy? Because she was hopelessly incarcerated unless somebody would rescue her. Friends, you and I, you, if, if the gospel does not elicit great joy in you, you really need to meditate on hell and you really need to meditate on your sin because, friends, we were hopelessly condemned to a sinner's hell. There was no way out and there was nothing you could do about it when this announcement was made. There was obviously the foreshadowing used in the temple of the animals that were sacrificed as literally a picture of the Lamb of God to come. That's why what John the Baptist said years later when he pointed at Jesus Christ and said, Behold the Lamb of God, don't miss this, which taketh away the sin of the world. If you're part of the world, that day, my friend, Jesus Christ, when he died, those 33 years later, he died for your sin. And I'm convinced one of the reasons we don't, uh, Christmas doesn't bring this kind of joy is people do not understand their condemned status because of their sin. You know what's happened in the United States and really worldwide is we have dumbed down our sin. People don't think sin's a big deal anymore. All you got to do is read the Ten Commandments and realize you're in trouble with God. You ever said, oh my G-O-D? You're in trouble because you have taken God's name in vain. And you read in Exodus 20, God says you're not guiltless. That's a double negative, which means you're guilty. Ever one time said, oh my G-O-D, you're in trouble with God. You are guilty before Almighty God. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments says you break it. You are not guiltless. Again, like I said, double negative means you are guilty. No way out. You know, God says, honor thy father and mother. Every time you treated your parents like trash, that's sin against God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We live in a world that literally is absolutely gone crazy in the moral arena. We got all kinds of filth going on. And if people aren't committing actual adultery, they're committing mental adultery by looking at pornographic websites and pictures all the time. Nobody thinks twice about it. Listen, I'm telling you, friend, you mess around you, you, before you get married, you cheat on your spouse, you look at filth, you have broken the law of Almighty God, and you're in trouble. You're headed straight to hell. You know, sometimes people think, well, God, how could a God of love send anybody to hell? Listen, if God lets you as your sin into heaven, it would stop being heaven. Do you know why heaven's heaven? Because there's no sin there. 
Jesus has washed away all the sin of people who are there. They don't have any left. It's gone. And he's given them a new heart. And by the time they get to heaven, they'll be saved from the presence of sin. Hallelujah. I think many of us are looking forward to that day. But the point, friends, is for all of us to recognize that many times you will not get excited about this announcement until you realize sin is a bad deal. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation 21, verse number 8, it says, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Do you know that's a Christmas verse, really? Because what God is saying is sin has consequences. Isn't it interesting? There's a whole list of things. I didn't give you the whole list of sins. I just put in all liars. You know why that's so interesting to me? Because everybody's lying. And if it's saying all liars, you know what that means? It's talking about the whole human race. Years ago, I was hearing a young preacher preach, and evidently he tried this one time. I don't know why. I'm not going to do it today, this morning. But he was uh, preaching along, and he said, let me show you something. He said, how many out here have never lied your entire life? He said, it was amazing. No one raised their hand except for one poor soul on the front pew. And it was an adult, and they raised their hand. I've never lied. And as he was telling the congregation the story, he said, you know, when I saw that person sincerely raise their hand saying they never lied, he said, I could read the minds of every person in that auditorium looking at that person raising the hand. You know what they were thinking? You big liar. <laughs> See, there's something in the human heart that recognizes we've all sinned. We've all broken the law of God. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. You ever lied one time, the Bible says you're headed straight to hell. The truth is we've lied more than once, and lying is just one of many sins that we've committed. We commit sin every day of our lives. See, we're in huge trouble, but our world so dumbs down sin that we don't think it's a big deal anymore. After all, our politicians lie all the time. <laughs> it's just crazy today, the world in which we live. It used to be, when I was growing up, that if a, if a, a politician got caught in moral failure, they were written off. They were done. Boy, that isn't true anymore. On both sides of the aisle. See, the point is we're, we're living in a day where sin just got dumbed down. But see, what God is trying to help us understand is that you will never be concerned about Jesus being your Savior until you realize, I'm a sinner headed to hell. I need to be rescued. Now think about it, my friend. If you knew you were hellbound, convinced of it, and all of a sudden an angel came to you and said, I got some really good news there's been born in this city over here, Bethlehem, a Savior who's going to save people from their sins. His name is Christ the Lord. Don't, no wonder the shepherds got excited. Do you know what the shepherds were doing at that very moment? They were raising sheep who would one day go to the temple, and guess what would happen at the temple? They'd have their throats cut. And they'd be a, literally a picture of a blood sacrifice for people's sin. But all those animals could do was simply be a picture of the fact that one day there would be the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, come to die in our place. And when His blood was shed, it would not just be a picture, it'd be the real deal. And that's why 1 John chapter 1 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, hang on now, cleanseth us, anybody know, from all sin. Doesn't matter what sin you've committed, I got really good news. Jesus' blood can wash it away. Worst thing you've done. Everybody in this room has regrets. Everybody. Everybody in this room has things you wish you hadn't have done. But I got really good news for you. Jesus Christ's blood can wash them all away. That's good news. That's what the angel came. There's going to be born a Savior. Now at that point it was 33 years away from the fact when he would literally die on that cross and the blood would be shed and the book of Isaiah would be fulfilled when it said the Lord God in heaven laid on him Jesus the iniquity of us all and all our filth was laid on Jesus and God took his wrath toward your sin of mine and he poured out his wrath on your sin of mine. You weren't there I wasn't either but Jesus was and the Bible says in 1 Peter he suffered for our sin. Now, I want to tell you something, friends, that's good news. Do you remember back before you got saved when you realized, man, I'm going to hell? There's nothing like that conviction, man, I'm going to hell. The despair, the hopelessness, I'm going to hell. But then the good news, Jesus can wash my sins away and rescue me. Have you been rescued, friend? Now, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to shake anybody's confidence. If, you're, if your confidence is in the fact that Jesus died for you, shed his blood and rose again, hallelujah, I'm all about it. But I'm telling you, friends, walking an aisle doesn't save you. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. Even getting baptized doesn't save you. Filling out a card doesn't save you. Jesus does. <laughs> 
Now, if the fact when you walked that aisle, prayed that prayer, fill out that card, you believe in Jesus, you're saved. But the aisle didn't save you. The card didn't save you. The prayer didn't save you. Jesus did. See, under you was born this day a Savior. I'm not asking if you're raised in a Christian home. I'm not even asking if you're baptized. I'm not asking if you're a member of this church. I'm asking you, are you right now resting in the fact that Jesus Christ is the one you're trusting to wash your filth away and keep you out of hell? That's what I'm asking you. See, under you was born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Okay, so you see the announcement. Wow, the excitement of it. Now, uh, obviously, as we mentioned, 33 years later, it would all be fulfilled when he would do that act of rescue where he would pay for our sins. And of course, we all know Easter is all about the fact that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead the third day and he lives forever. He's ascended. He's in heaven. He lives forever. And he's seated at the right hand. And every time somebody gets saved, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the angels don't rejoice, but I guarantee you it says it's in the presence of the angels. You know what I believe? I believe people who've gone before do the rejoicing. I believe every time somebody gets saved, saints who somehow maybe know about it, they're all excited about it. Hallelujah. That next door neighbor of mine got saved. I prayed for him for years. Hallelujah. And there's rejoicing in heaven. I don't think the angels totally get it, but I will tell you, saved human beings do. And I'm convinced one of the things that will happen when you and I get to heaven, if, uh, if we don't go up at the rapture, I mean, I'm telling you uh, that uh, every time somebody gets saved, we're going to have, we can just have a glory fit up there. We're going to have a great time about it. And we're going to thank the Lord, man, that person got saved. Particularly, I believe, people that we had some intersection with, maybe prayed for them, maybe gave the gospel to them. I don't know. Or maybe it's our own children. When God uses them to reach somebody, man, we're going to rejoice. Hallelujah. My children are winning people to Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, friends, there's going to be rejoicing, but it's in the presence of the angels. It's interesting to me that the angels don't give the gospel. This is as close as it comes. You know what angels do? My friend, they just probably wonder. But the fact that God chose us to be gospel givers. You know, my friend, if the good news is going to get out, you and I have to tell it. And if we fail, guess what? Have you ever noticed that God doesn't send angels down on the street corners to give the gospel? Have you ever noticed that? Can I say this? When it comes to gospel giving, the Great Commission was plan A and there is no plan B. There's no plan B. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I was God, and I'm glad, all of us are glad, none of us are. But if I was God, and I was going to give the human race, save human beings, the, the gospel, you know, the, the, the responsibility to give the gospel, I'd have had a plan B. Wouldn't you have had a plan B if you know what you know about? I mean, after all, God calls us sheep. You ever work with sheep? You ever seen videos of sheep? They're some of the dumbest animals around. Okay, but anyway, and God's going to give us the responsibility. You know what? There is no plan B. I mean, I'd have gone to Gabriel and said, now listen, give the guys a soul winning class. Give all these angels ready. Get their verses down. We may have to send them down there. The human race. No. If you got saved, I'm going to tell you this. In almost every single case, there's human beings who somehow are responsible for getting you the gospel. And if you got saved reading a gospel tract or a Bible, somebody gave you that gospel tract or printed that Bible. There's the fingerprints of human saved people on everybody's salvation somehow, some way. Hallelujah. That's the way God does it. So uh, that's this, uh, another ramification we could get from this. But let's continue to read on here. A couple other things I want us to see before we wind this thing down. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, okay, there was one angel, you have to see this, and now a multitude of the heavenly hosts. That was probably a lot of them. Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, a peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So now you got a whole choir of angels. First one angel, and now, now just, I want you to think about this. One angel scared them half to death. Can you imagine a whole bunch of them? I mean, I don't know. I kind of have the thinking there were probably, who knows, hundreds of them. And they're saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now don't miss this. What were they saying? Well, obviously glory to God. If you're saved, there's something in your heart think, 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 you know, Jesus, you didn't have to save me. God, thank you for saving me. There's a certain amount of praise that should come out of the heart of a believer. If you're saved on your way to heaven hearing this message, if there's not a lift in your heart, you're either so far from God, it's, you're bad off, or you've never been saved. Because there's some kind of lift in your heart. Hallelujah, I'm going to heaven. Look what Jesus did for me. This is great. Okay, glory to God in the highest. Okay, that's kind of that's goes without saying. Hallelujah, let's praise God for this great plan of salvation. But then notice what he says, peace on earth. 
You know what some people do? They look at that and say, well, that's never happened. And you know what I'd say? Yes, it has. I want to tell you right now, it's come, coming back to Sunday school for those of you that want to tie in the Sunday school message. Okay, here it is. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now, let me just tell you, I could preach a whole message on goodwill toward men because it is a theologically debated phrase. Uh, the interpretation, what does it mean? So, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on peace on earth. Okay, so you say, what's, what were the angels saying? They were saying, the news that was just given you is the key to having peace on a sin-cursed earth. You know, my friend, I'm telling you, every Christian in this room, you have the opportunity, don't miss this, to have peace on earth. Everything going on, God's people ought to be at peace. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Did you hear what God said? Listen, the guys that were drinking up last night, I'm promising you right now, as they woke up this morning, they didn't wake up with any peace in their heart. The people looking at pornography last night on the internet, they woke up this morning, no peace in their heart. The people cheating on their spouses, no peace in their heart. Teenagers messing around, no peace in their heart. There is no peace, saith God, to the wicked. I remember years ago, a young man came to one of our youth rallies out in Pinole, California. We had a bunch of kids, probably 150 kids there. The next night he came back, got his food, walked straight out the door before we had our preaching time. One of the team captains stopped him and said, hey, can't you stick around? Here's what he said, no way, man. He said, everything that preacher talks about, he said, I do. And he said, I love my sin. Do you know his last words were to the team captain, whose name was Chris, as he stepped out the door? He said, Chris, I'm so miserable. I'm most miserable. And he walked out the door. There is no peace to the wicked. You know what the wicked are? Like the troubled sea. Now, we're all Midwesterners, so we don't understand what happens when a storm comes over the ocean. It stirs up the bottom of the ocean. A hurricane comes over, it stirs everything up. Now, God says that's a picture of the heart of the wicked. Their heart is troubled. There's no peace to the wicked. It's interesting to me that the Bible says this in the book of James. It says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Peace is always based on, don't miss this, purity. Did you hear me? It's always based on purity. Peace without purity is not peace. You see, God is always interested in purity first. It's not peace at all costs. It's pure at all costs. And then based on purity comes peace. As God's people, we will be honest with you, we are probably not at peace with people who are preaching you get saved by being good. I'll never be at peace with that message because it's wrong. Okay, so purity is always the key thing. We'll say, well, preacher, what are you talking about? I'm telling you this, you'll never have peace in your heart until Jesus Christ cleans your heart out and makes it pure. You can't make your own heart hurt pure, but Jesus can. He can literally purify your heart. Wash your sins away and save you, and that's why you have peace. Now, that brings me to a final application, and we'll wind her all up here, and that's simply this. Okay, we've talked about the fact that Jesus is our rescuer. He rescues us from the penalty of sin. And hallelujah, we know our sins are washed away on the way to heaven, but here's what I'm alluding to, which brings us to that peace on earth, tying peace on earth and a Savior. So, listen like this, kind of what we talked about in Sunday school, and that's simply this, friends. Have you ever noticed that after you get saved, you still struggle with sinning? In fact, I've had many kids get saved on our rally nights, come back and get, try to get saved again the second night, and as you counsel them, you say, well, didn't you get saved last Yeah, I did, but today I, I said a bad word. Or today I got angry. Or today I did whatever. And then you have to go through. What happened was this. They got saved. They were all excited about getting saved. And then all of a sudden they sinned. And that is what happened. They got bothered by it. I said, were you bothered about it when you took that, said that bad word three days ago? Were you bothered by it? No, but you were bothered about it today. Yeah, okay. Well, that kind of indicates something's happened in your heart. The point is, as Christians, what happens as Christians, we're saved. We know our sins are washed away. We know our, our way onto heaven. But we get we start to struggle with sin again. Now, don't miss this. When you get saved, you get delivered from the penalty of sin. You can't go to hell. One of the things you need to understand is when you get saved, Jesus does a real good job saving you. It's impossible to go to hell. That's kind of nice, isn't it? 
I remember years ago hearing an evangelist. He was kind of a, he's now with the Lord, but he was just kind of out there evangelist. He really was. And, and uh, uh, he was in, uh, based out of Los Angeles. And if you've ever gone to Los Angeles, you'll just lose your sanctification driving on the roads. Okay, it's kind of pretty rough. And, and so one day he was driving on the roads and he accidentally cut somebody off, which in L.A. is not a good thing to do. He said the guy that he cut off pulled up next to him and indicated to roll his window down. Of course, this evangelist was the kind of guy always looking for a fight. Okay, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, he, he would just fight the devil to the nail. He's just one of those kind of guys. And, and they'll put the window down, and the guy yelled to him, Go to! And he used hell like we sometimes hear it used. You know what I'm talking about? It's a cuss word. And I love what the evangelist did. He yelled back to the guy and said, I can't! <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? You get saved this morning, I'm telling you right now, you can't go to hell, it's impossible. But once you get saved, I'm telling you friends, and know your sins are washed away, you'll find yourself in what seems to be mortal combat with the enemy. And you're thinking, man, what's going on? Well, the Bible says the flesh lusts against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, I don't want you to miss this. The gospel doesn't stop when you get saved. It starts. Could I put it this way? Jesus' saving work didn't stop when you got saved, it started. The first thing he did was save you from the penalty of sin, but the rest of your life he wants to save you from the power of sin. How many have heard this phrase? Accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We get so used to it we forget what it means. Can I use a few analogies to help you? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal fireman? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal um, lifeguard? You ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal EMT? You ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal rescue worker? You say, preacher, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to help you understand that every single picture I gave, just gave you is a physical picture of what a Savior is. You know what a Savior is? A rescuer. And I don't want you to miss this. When you got saved, Jesus rescued you from the penalty of sin. But the rest of your Christian life, He wants to rescue you from the power of sin. And that's what brings peace in your heart. When you're living in fellowship with Jesus Christ, knowing He's washed my sins away, there's no wall between me and God. You can live in peace on earth. That's why the angels yelled, yelled this out. Glory to God on the highest. Peace on earth. In other words, for the first time in human history, there was a hope that you could walk on this sun-cursed planet at peace. Are you at peace, my friend? Because if you are, you are fulfillment of what the angels said that day. You know, many times, have you noticed, uh, at Christmas time, people like to talk about peace on earth, and they talk about war and nations and all. Well, you know, the Bible tells us that the, there's going to be more and more wars. So, which it's not talking about the absence of war, it's talking about God's people who get saved living a Christian life with peace. Peace on earth. There are people in this room that are fulfilling, fulfilling what the angels said. You live a life of peace. I used in Sunday school the word rest. Same thing. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So when somebody learns to walk with God and realize even when they sin, they can rest in His cleansing power as to restore our fellowship with Him. And your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid His face from you so that He will not hear. And you realize that, that you can, uh, as 1 John 1, 9, you can confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow, we have a great God, don't we? So, the announcement, the greatest announcement ever was announcing the good tidings. And there are three aspects of the good tidings. I'm not going to develop it, although I've mentioned it a moment ago. The first is we've got a Savior who can deliver us from sin's penalty, hell. Number two, we've got a Savior who can deliver us from the power of sin every day. They call that sanctification. And last of all, my friend, we've got a Savior who one day is going to deliver us from the presence of sin. And when you die and go to heaven, my friend, there will be no sin there. You'll never sin again. It's a wonderful thing. You see, Jesus Christ that night, if we totally understood it, we'd be in far more joy than we are. Jesus Christ that night was born, and the angel announced it. Unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior. He'll save you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and eventually from the presence of sin, which is Christ, Messiah, the Jehovah God. Wow. That's the greatest announcement that has ever been made. Could I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads are bowed this morning, eyes closed. Just a simple question. I know most of you probably 
I've been saved, but I'm going to ask this anyway. If you were here right now and you say, Preacher, if I were to die right now, I know I'd go to heaven because there was a day as a hell-bound sinner. I trusted Jesus Christ to wash my sins away and keep me out of hell. I trusted Him to do what I could never do. I can't wash my sins away. I can't deliver myself from hell, but Jesus can. And I, I've trusted Him to do that. And I'm glad that I did. And I know I'm going to heaven not because of anything I've done, because I'm trusting what Jesus already did and paying the awful price for my sin. Would you raise your hand if you're trusting Jesus to keep you out of hell, give you eternal life, and you know you're going to heaven? Just raise it high as a testimony, the grace of Almighty God. Thank you very much. You can put your hands down. I really couldn't see everybody in the room and certainly can't see folks out there online. But friends, i got a question for you. How many, is there anybody here that say, Preacher, I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure if I die to go to heaven. Not sure my sins are washed away going to heaven. Not sure about it, but boy, I'd like to be sure. Would you pray for me? I'll not embarrass you. I will not point you out. But man, I will pray for you. My prayer can't get you to heaven, but I can sure pray God will help you understand it. Make it clear. Turn the lights on. And uh, I believe He'll do that. It's a prayer I believe God will answer. So if you're saying, Preacher, would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand? Anyone at all? Lift your hand. Lift your hand. Even if you're out there online, would you just lift your hand? Even though I can't see it, God can see it. Just lift your hand. Say, I'm concerned about it. Yes, I see that. Thank you. Put that hand down. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, number two. How many of God's people who raised their hand a moment ago and said, I know I'm going to heaven, would say, you know, Preacher, I don't live with a lot of peace in my heart. But God has used His Word this morning to realize that Jesus Christ, the same one I trusted to give me peace with God, is the same one who can day by day give me the peace of God. As I trust Him sometimes to cleanse me, sometimes to restore me, sometimes to enable me. But you say, Preacher, I, God's touched my heart that as a Christian I don't live with a lot of peace in my heart and I know that God wants me to. And God's touched my heart even though I haven't fully developed it. It's again the same thing. It's a life of faith. If God's touched your heart as a Christian, would you just indicate that by a lifted hand? Amen. God bless. God bless you. Put your hand up and down. That's really more for you than it is for me. Would you just stand to your feet right where you are? Would you do that? Just stand to your feet right where you are. Heads about and eyes are closed. Heads about and eyes are closed. Now, if you're out there online and you say, Preacher, I want Jesus to be my Savior, why don't you get on your knees right now if you're able to and uh, ask Jesus Christ right now to save you. Trust Him. Depend on Him. Tell Jesus you're a sinner hellbound, but you're depending on Him to wash your sins away and get, keep you out of hell. And, and then thank Him for what you believe He'll do. So out there, you believe on Him. Trust Him. Now, if you're here and you say, Preacher, I want to get saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I'd like to. If you would not mind coming here in just a moment, heads will be stay bowed and eyes will be stay closed. We will not embarrass you. If you just come up to me, I'll make sure someone with an open Bible will take you into a room where you'll not be distracted. Men with men, ladies with ladies, a trained Bible worker, and they'll uh, help you with God's Word. Get that thing settled. So if you're not sure, wow, Christmas be a day after Christmas be a great time to get saved because that's what Christmas is all about. So in a moment I'll ask if there's an instrumentalist who could come and just play something on the piano. Just doesn't have to be much, just a simple a, a hymn. And just a moment when we hear the first note of the first stanza, if, if you need to get saved, I'm going to encourage you to come. Now if you're a Christian and you need just to talk to God about something, I'm just going to encourage you to sit where you are and just talk to God about it. Just pray, talk to God about it, then you can make an altar where you are right now, so to speak, and then stand back up when you spend a few moments with the Lord. So Christians, you can do that. But if you need to be saved, I'm going to ask you to get out of the aisle, come forward, no one's looking, and we'll help you with the Word of God as the piano plays. Would you come? 